Well, if you would, turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. We're continuing in our series, Mark's Biblical Answers to Puzzling Questions. We're asking the question this morning, who is going to be first? Or, is it okay to be ambitious? I'm reading verses 33, 34, and 35. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? And they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down, and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. As I said, we're looking at the subject, who is going to be first? As the Gospel of Mark uh, concentrates its focus on Christ coming or approaching Calvary, chapter 9 covers some very important areas. Verses 1 through 13 deal with Christ's transfiguration. Verses 14 through 29, we see Christ casting out a a deaf and dumb spirit. In verses 30 through 32, Christ foretells his death and resurrection. And then verses 33 through 37, the disciples dispute. Verses 38 through 41, Christ's explanation of miracles done in his name. Verses 42 through 48, Christ's warning to not offend his little ones. And then verses 49 and 50, Christ's comments about salt. So we see Mark touches on a number of topics, as has been the case throughout the Gospel of Mark. And now that we're halfway through this gospel, we've been looking at these different topics that are touched on by our Lord here in these chapters. And last week we mentioned, beginning with chapter 8, looking forward now, Christ is moving toward the cross. And because of that, because of his approaching death, burial, and resurrection, he has a great deal to teach his disciples. So there seems to be a bit more of a seriousness or a sense of urgency evidenced in some of these examples that we have in Scripture concerning Christ dealing with his disciples and those that he comes into contact with. And again, we're asking the question this morning, who is going to be first, or is our ambition acceptable in the sight of the Lord? Our text this morning deals with the disciples and their terrible, terrible ignorance of Christ's Messiahship, which comes to light as a result of their discussion. One commentator writes this, It seems strange that one of the first recorded results of Christ's second prediction of his rapidly approaching agony should have been the disciples' debate over rank. And of course, he's talking about verses uh, 31 and 32, where Jesus said, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask. But it's interesting, right after that, they start arguing about who was going to be the chief among them. The subject of their debate was suggested by three things. His recent announcement about the kingdom, and then as well, the event of his transfiguration, and the preference given to three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were allowed to attend 
there on Mount of Transfiguration. Someone has said how quickly their sorrow caused by this prediction had given way to their craving for exaltation. What's amazing, though, is that the Lord, in his wisdom and foreknowledge, chose these men to be his disciples. He knew their faults. He knew their weaknesses. He knew the areas in which they would struggle. And he not only chose them to be his disciples, but he would willingly die for them. And he would do the same for us. Knowing our weaknesses, our struggles, he still was willing to go to the cross on our behalf. We're going to look at two things this morning in these three verses. We're going to note Christ addresses the problem of ambition. And secondly, he provides a solution for their misunderstanding. So notice with me verses 33 and 34. I read them again. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. So here Jesus returns to Capernaum and enters into the home which he so often visited. And along the way, the disciples had been arguing among themselves and were probably continuing to do so when they got to the house. The word disputed means to reason together, to question, or to debate a difficult issue without coming to a solution. So they'd been going back and forth about this here. They're walking along the way. And, and can you just picture this? Jesus walking with his disciples, maybe a couple of them up close to him, but everybody else kind of hanging back. And they're arguing, they're going on, they're talking under their breath. They're going back and forth about who's going to be chief among the disciples. Who's going to be the best? Well, they couldn't let it go. They got to the house. Likely they continued with this. And... Uh, they continued arguing among themselves about this matter. When you think about the number of times to this point, Jesus had discussed or spoken with them about the cross. And yet his disciples were more concerned about their position, about what was going to happen when Jesus passed off the scene after Calvary. But you know, we're no different how often we hear about the cross and then just quickly, easily forget it and move on to something else. Jesus could only do one thing at this point. He could continue to teach them. He knew about the dispute. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't pulling anything over, over on him by hanging back and arguing about this. He knew what was going on. And so he turned to his disciples there as they were at the house and said, what were you talking about? What were you arguing about? Mom and dad, have you ever done that with your children? Or have your parents done that with you? They hear you and your brother or sister going at it. Say, what's going on back there? What are you two arguing about? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Everything's fine. Done. I got no problem. Can you imagine Jesus putting the disciples on the spot in that situation and turning to them? What are you arguing about? Pride moves us to argue about a lot of things, does it not? James chapter 4, verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war that ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. 
Usually when we find ourselves arguing with somebody, it's because we want them to understand what? I'm right and you're wrong. That's why you argue with someone. That's why you dispute. That's why you go at it. And that's what these men were doing. They were all, con- they were all convinced. They were right and the other was wrong. Now the Gospels don't record their conversation, so we don't know what their words are, were. We're just, uh, we're just speculating here. But maybe it went something like this. Peter, James, and John argued among the three of them who would be the greatest. Because after all, they were, as we look back, considered part of the inner circle of disciples. We see them repeatedly with the Lord. They were the inner circle. They were the only witnesses of the transfiguration. They had heard teaching which others had not. Peter may very well have been so brash as to say, listen you two, I'm the leader of this group. I'm the one that should be number one. I'm the one he's going to pick to lead the way. And James and John, the sons of thunder, they probably didn't hold back and said, oh, wait a minute. We're, been, we're just involved in this as you are. And then you have the other disciples saying, well, wait about What about the rest of us? We're here, to, we're here too. We've been with the Lord all this time. After all, he called all of us to be his disciples. What makes you think you are better than me? Well, this was a miserable display of godliness and love for one another. And we're also equally guilty at times, are we not? But in their heart of hearts, they knew they were wrong. And when Jesus asked them what they had been arguing about, they had nothing to say. Here we see the silence of shame. They had no defense. Isn't it strange that things are put in their proper place and perspective when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ in connection with what we're arguing about, what we're dealing with, what we're going through? This was a big deal to the disciples, so much so that they argued about it noticeably. But when the Lord confronted them, they had nothing to say. There should be many things we avoid thinking, saying, and doing as Christians. Because when we consider the Lord, what he has done for us, the price he has paid to provide us with the free gift of salvation. Salvation is a free gift, but it came at a great cost. The blood and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we so often get wrapped up in ourselves, thinking about what's important to us, thinking about what matters most to us, thinking about what gets us going, if you will. And we forget what the Lord has done in our stead. Selfishness, pride, greed, envy, all of these things, these elements of the fleshly nature, they work against the goodness and grace of God. And these disciples got caught up in this. Fact of the matter is there's no ifs about it. It's not if we find ourselves doing this, but it's when and why. And then how long will it take us to stop looking at ourselves and look to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the Lord knows everything we're going through. There's no need for us to get upset with him because we think he's overlooking us or he's missed something about what we're dealing with. There's no need for us to get impatient 
with or angry with God because we feel like he's not responding appropriately. Oh, God never makes a mistake. He's never late. He never mistreats any of his own. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord knows what's going on in our lives. We don't need to be bitter and upset with him. And the Lord knew these disciples walking behind him, being around him. They were fussing. They were going at each other. They weren't happy about this situation. And as a result, Jesus had to deal with this problem. Why was it such an issue for them? Well, in the Jewish culture, rank was of great importance and was assigned by noble birth, by age, or by the advancement of the law. For example, the Qumran sect annually reevaluated each member's rank, which determined their seating and speaking order. By whatever means it was determined, rank was a critical issue in the ancient life. Many Jewish people hope for a new status in the world to come based not on noble birth, but on faithfulness to God's covenant. So again, the idea is this ranking that they were vying position for, who was going to be number one, number two, number three, and so on. It represented not their ranking on earth, but their ranking in heaven. And they were concerned that they were going to get the recognition they were due so that in heaven they would be seated in a place of, in place of prominence and authority. You see, Jewish culture was constantly immersed in questions of procedure and rank. The New Testament scholar Schlatter wrote, All points in worship in administration of justice, at meals, in all dealings, there was constantly uh, the question of who was greater, and estimating the honor due to each was a task which was constantly to be fulfilled and was felt to be very important. So these disciples were caught up in this ideology of the day in the Jewish people's mindset of who is number one, who's on the top, who's the best. Who would have thought? a few fishermen and tax collectors would be overcome by the rivalry and the desire of supremacy. Their positions from which God called them to be his disciples really weren't high on the ranking in Jewish society. And here these men, common as they were, were arguing about this matter. Why? Because they didn't understand what the kingdom of Christ was. They still saw an earthly, a temporal kingdom, not a spiritual one, not an eternal kingdom. And as a result, they were arguing about spiritual matters through an earthly mindset, and they were missing the point. This passage shows just how far away they were from understanding God and Jesus being the Messiah. The fact is recorded for our learning If ambition is wrong, it leads to division and arguing. Matthew chapter 12 verse 37 says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Or how about Obadiah? Verse 4. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, 
and though thou set thy nest among the stars, there will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Here's the problem. These men were arguing about who was going to be number one, who would receive the most recognition by our Lord, who would be counted the most important. And our Lord points out to them, or will point out to them, that their attitude and their ambition is wrong. It's misguided because they misunderstand this matter of spiritual instruction. So here, our Lord, in this next verse, verse 35, goes ahead and addresses the solution. Verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Notice the compassion Christ demonstrates to his uh, misguided disciples. He sat down. He didn't stand over them like your mom used to do when you were in trouble, looking down with her hands up on her hips, yelling at you, fussing at you, letting you know you've messed up. No. He sits down. You see, ambition needs instruction. In Jesus' day, when a rabbi was ready to give a profound lesson, he sat down before his pupils. And because the disciples had demonstrated their ignorance, they needed to be corrected. They needed some instruction and guidance, and our Lord was there to give it to them. By the way, the Word of God has the answer for us today when we need guidance and instruction. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells a study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God's word has the answer to our questions. Jesus Christ, the living word, had the solution to their problem. He didn't choose to allow them to go on in ignorance, nor did he rebuke them in this situation. He sat down to teach them and help them to understand what was going on. I believe by his instruction to the disciples, we can conclude ambition is an acceptable virtue if it's carried out in an appropriate manner. How do we know that? I believe we know this by the stipulation Christ placed upon it. Notice again verse 35. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all. He didn't say it was wrong to be ambitious or to, to desire greatness. Rather, he identified the divine requirement for greatness. And he did so by defining it in a way that was unheard of in Jewish culture. He said, if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. Jesus made it clear to his disciples and to us that if a person wants to be great, then they must actively seek to serve others. With that caveat, a lot of people say, you can take my name off the list right now. <laughs> I'm not willing to serve others, so I'll just go ahead and be great in my own mind. Well, their concern was being greatest in the eyes of God. That's what this issue was. And so he said, if that's what you want, this is what it's going to take. You know, that's an amazing thing about Scripture. God confronts a problem in his word. He reveals it to us, and then he gives us a solution from there, the question is, what are we going to do with it? Do I want to go ahead and follow God's instruction, or do I want to go another way? Well, he said, here's your choice. A person's ambition is not to rule for the sake of holding a position. It's not to rule for the sake of having authority over others. It's not for the sake of receiving honor from others. No, it, if we're going to be great, 
our ambition must be to use our gifts and abilities to serve others. The emphasis of Christ's ministry was others. He said, it came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to die that others might live. Romans 12.3 For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, there's a challenge for you. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That doesn't really fit in today's society, does it? With all the talk about who's the greatest basketball player ever, who's the greatest football player ever, whether it's a quarterback or a running back or defensive position or something, who's the greatest goal scorer in hockey, and so on. You know, everybody's talking about the greatest. It's insane that that seems to be so important to people today. Jesus said what's really important is who do you serve? How well do you serve? How much do you serve? So if you want to be great in the eyes of God, it means stepping down off the pedestal and following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in putting others first. Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Some people cannot bring themselves to even speak to someone they considered beneath them. Jesus said, you have to put yourself under that individual. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, that was a radical statement that Jesus made. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all. It was an incredibly radical statement. It was countercultural. Not only then, but today. You see, Jesus' attitude toward others was this. Looking at his words, John 13, 14. He said, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. Wow. He said, this is what I've done for you. Now you go and do that for another. He goes on to say, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. He said, I've shown you what I want you to do. Now go do it. How many of us are willing to actually offer care and comfort to others when they have nothing they can give in return? You see, that's the real issue of servanthood. Not that of an employee. Not that of someone providing a service for remuneration but it's the idea of doing something for someone knowing they can't pay you back. Our Lord did that on Calvary, the greatest of examples, when he died for us knowing we could never do anything to deserve or to repay 
his death for us. So is it, is it really that big a thing for him to ask us to wash another's feet? Now, of course, that's an example. There are many things we can do for others. We who are the Lord's disciples are called to this same radicalness. There's no exceptions. He expects us to give of ourselves to others. He expects us to humble ourselves in such a way that we demonstrate to others the love of God. Talk is cheap. This world needs to see people who will put into action the love of God. Humbling ourselves is where it begins. Do we want to be first? Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Humble yourself. Serve others. By the way, that's an, expe- ex- uh, an expectation we see placed upon us throughout the scripture. James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Peter wrote, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. All we're told, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. As we draw close to the Lord and become more like him, we can demonstrate his love to others through this venue of servanthood. Someone has said the proof of discipleship is one's ambition for service. My conclusion is ambition isn't wrong based on what we see in this text as long as it is guided in the right direction. One reason this lesson uh, taught by Jesus is unforgettable is that he himself was constantly demonstrating this matter of servanthood through his own life. Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, 27, he asked, Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? He answers his own question by saying, Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Christ presented himself as the perfect servant, and he expects us to follow that example. How do we know that? Philippians 2 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes, our Lord provided the perfect example of being a servant. Is ambition wrong? If it's all about me, yes. If it's about others, no. That's the conclusion I draw today from this passage of Scripture. So who will be first? The one that says, I'll be last. You ever been in a store? And just showing a courtesy to somebody, you you, you step back and say, go ahead and take my place in line. People are so surprised by that action these days. People notice things like that. Being a servant is so out of sync with today's society that people are shocked. They're amazed. They're surprised at such a demonstration of kindness. Wouldn't it be good if all of us as God's people went from here today being 
genuine servants of the Lord, being desirous of greatness in the eyes of God by serving all with whom we come into contact. I want to close with these two illustrations, giving a contrast on this particular subject. The first deals with true selflessness. The Greeks had a story of a Spartan named Pederitas. 300 men were to be chosen to govern Sparta, and Pederitas was a candidate. When the list of the successful was announced, his name was not on it. One of his friends said to him, I'm sorry, you weren't elected. The people ought to have known what a wise officer of state you would have made. But Deritas responded by saying, I am glad that in Sparta there are 300 men better than I am. This man later became a legend because he was prepared to give to others the first place and bear no ill will. Pretty good example. How about this though? On a visit to the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, a young American student became fascinated with the piano on which Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works. She asked the nearby museum guard if she could play a few bars on it and offered him a generous tip. He allowed her to do so. The girl went to the piano, played the opening of the Moonlight Sonata, And as she was leaving, she said to the guard, I suppose all of the great pianists who come here want to play that piano. Guard looked at her and said, Well, the great Polish pianist Paderewski was here a few years ago, and he said he wasn't worthy to touch it. You know, we think so highly of ourselves, and we're so quick to place ourselves near the top of the list, when in honesty we should be saying, how close to the bottom can I be? Jesus said, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Where do we stand in that mix? Where do we place ourselves? Top, middle, bottom? That's between you and the Lord.